Lindsay Campbell, Lindsay Coughlin, Pearla Jones, Ella Hamilton. We've talked a lot about Samantha as a party, about her different identities, the things she has done, the people she's affected and the impression she's left on people. She looked extremely young. Rebecca Clark. In her role, she looks about 14 or 15. Ella Hamilton. She just looked cold and frail. Cody Lynn Johnson. What I saw was a young female. Lindsay Morgan. She seemed like a traumatised young person to me. Samantha Lindsay as a party. But as for what is going on for Samantha herself, well, it's time to look at that. Dakota Mules. Ella Hamilton. Codlin Johnson. Paola Jones. Cody Johnson. Sutherland Johnson. From RTE Documentary N1, I'm Nicolene Greer. And I'm Sharon Davis. This is Finding Samantha. I don't need to be saved. I need to be found. Welcome to our final episode of Finding Samantha. Episode 7. Who is Samantha? And a warning. In this episode, we discuss issues around mental health and childhood trauma, which could be difficult for some listeners. So please take good care. On the 28th of May 2021, Samantha Azapardi walked free from prison, having served less than two years for her most serious charges to date, child stealing. She now had a long history of criminal behaviour, but when she was released, it turned out jail was no deterrent. Because less than six months later, in November 2021, Samantha resurfaced, this time claiming to be 15-year-old cult member Eleanor Harris. Police figured out pretty quickly that this was actually 33-year-old Samantha as a party. So, back to court again, this time in Picton, in southwestern Sydney. I'm just outside Picton Court at the moment. Samantha had to walk through a gauntlet of uh, news reporters out the front of the court. Her face was concealed by a mask and dark sunglasses and she also had a scarf draped over her head. So she was barely recognisable as she walked through, but when she got into the court, she was shaking very um, violently and started to sob to her solicitor. Samantha's case as a 15-year-old cult member went on throughout the early part of 2022. And during this time, Sharon again reached out to Samantha to see if she would like to speak. So I'm outside Picton Court and I've just seen Samantha in the coffee shop across the road from the court with her solicitor and with her dad, I think. So I approached her and said, Samantha, I've written you a letter. And she put her hands up as if to stop me and said, okay. And I said, I don't want to hassle you. I just want to ask you if you'd talk to me to tell your side of the story with your solicitor, if you'd like. And um, I handed her my card and said, here's my card if you want to contact me. And then I left. By May 2022, Samantha's case eventually came down to a choice for the judge. Send her back to prison to protect society from her or try and force her to get some psychological help in the community. 
I'm just standing outside the court again. Uh, Samantha has received a pretty whopping three-year community corrections order, which means that she must undertake mental health assessment and psychological assistance for the next three years. If she doesn't do that, she'll be back before the court. Samantha looked very shocked when the magistrate said three years. So it will be interesting to see how she goes complying with this order. Long story short, she didn't comply. I put an ad up um, to get some help with my one-year-old baby daughter and the housework on a local nanny's au pair's Facebook group. This is Teresa Power, a working lawyer who lives in Sydney. Just last year, in August 2022, she needed a nanny. Um, To my delight and surprise, I received a response within 20 minutes. Um, A private message from a Maya Maleka who um, introduced herself, said she was 19 years old from Poland and had experience looking after kids since she was 14 years of age. I really liked the sound of her. One of the first things she said to me when we spoke was, oh, I'm so relieved you're a real person. I thought maybe you were a fraudster because there are so many fraudsters on these Facebook groups. I kid you not. But yeah, we had a lovely chat. My husband and I were completely charmed by her. Did she strike you as smart? She did. She struck me as very capable. Um, And on a few occasions, I left her with the baby um, for a couple of hours. Yeah, I thought she was fabulous. Easy to get along with? Yes. Yep, I enjoyed her company. We shared a couple of meals right here (laughs) where I'm sitting with you now. In order to work with children in Australia, you need to be vetted. It's called a working with children check, and 19-year-old Maya from Poland needed to provide one to Teresa. She said that she had made inquiries and had been told that she wasn't eligible for a working with children check because she'd only been in the country for such a short period of time, but that the visa essentially served as a quote-unquote universal check and I said that's fine can you just show me some some photo ID like a passport so yeah the next morning when she arrived she pulled out a red passport and said here it is I wasn't sure how safe it would be to send it online send a photo on messenger so it's here you can look at it so I said that's fine put it down I'll have a look and make a note when I get a sec and I got distracted and By the time I went to look at it, she'd packed it away and then we were rushing to get her off to the class. She flashed me a burgundy red passport. So I thought, yeah, European passport, yeah, no dramas, like as if she's gonna show me a fake passport. Clearly it was fake. After one week's work, Teresa was happy, Meyer was paid and they made arrangements for the following Monday. And then she never showed up. And then um, on the Friday, Late at night, my husband stumbled across a newspaper article about the arrest of a serial con woman on Monday and straight away recognised Maya and, yeah, got the shock of um, our lives, both of us. She was supposed to come and work for us at 10 o'clock in the morning and according to the newspaper reports, she was arrested at 10.30 that morning 
she turned up at this not-for-profit association claiming to be a 14-year-old French young girl victim of child sex trafficking and led police on a nine-hour wild goose chase throughout the eastern suburbs wearing her mask the whole time. They fingerprinted her and identified her as Samantha as a party and she's been arrested. This was about to be Samantha's 100th charge in Australia and she had now amassed well in excess of 100 different aliases. Over 16 extraordinary years, her actions have become more extreme and harmful to so many. No, I don't know what the answer is. Journalist Simone Fox Coob has followed Samantha's exploits. It's over and over again. She's charged. She does time in jail. She's released and within months or sometimes years, she's back before the courts. It doesn't seem to phase her whatsoever. I just don't know what kind of punishment will deter her from continuing to re-offend. And obviously the mental health problems don't seem to be severe enough to see her, I guess, unwillingly put in any kind of facility. So it really is a kind of a really difficult situation for everyone involved, the courts, police and, and the authorities. One thing we've never been able to figure out in the story of Samantha as a party is the money trail. How has she supported herself financially over the past 20 years? How has she been able to travel the world, fly Emily Bamberger to Canada, move all over Australia, travel over and back to Ireland? At one stage, there was mention of wiring money to Russia. We do know that she's stolen credit cards. She's been convicted of creating fake social welfare identities. Her skills in creating fake documentation, including obtaining passports, are valuable skills. And so that question of money and Samantha as a party has never been conclusively solved by the police or by us. We know that in the course of Samantha's many criminal trials, there have been numerous psychological reports carried out on her for the Australian courts. In fact, there's over 24,000 pages of documents relating to Samantha as a party in her files. In a search for answers, we're going to make an application to those courts to see if they might release some information to help understand just what exactly is going on for Samantha. We made our appeal to Magistrate Ross Hudson in late 2022. Magistrate Hudson was adjudicating on Samantha's 100th criminal charge. Sharon presented why she wanted these documents and how we intended to use them in this series. Samantha is mostly portrayed as Australia's greatest con girl. That makes for a great headline, but beneath that is a far more complex and nuanced story. We hope the psychological reports might provide some insight into what compels Samantha to do what she does. In November 2022, Magistrate Hudson sentenced Samantha to 17 months in prison for claiming to be a 14-year-old French sex trafficking victim. It was her hundredth charge. A few days later, he released to us two of the key psychological reports he'd used in his deliberations for use in this series, one from 2015 and another from 2021. These reports describe Samantha as both a vague and difficult historian. 
This makes it hard for professionals to diagnose her. However, in addition to these written reports, there's the evidence of psychologists and psychiatrists given in open court. And if we look at them together, we can see similar themes emerging. In a 2015 report by forensic psychologist Dr Susan Pullman, when Samantha was on trial for passport fraud, Dr Pullman conceded that Samantha most likely meets criteria for dissociate identity disorder as a result of a history of complex trauma. Dr Pullman thought that perhaps Samantha's actions occurred while in a dreamlike state, what the psychologist calls a dissociative fugue. It's likely that Miss Azapati currently has no memory of events which occurred during the commission of the offences for which she's been charged. In court, the psychologist was questioned about this and what caused it. It's variable depending on the individual, but any trigger that serves as a reminder of a past experience in any way whatsoever. What we might think is quite trivial to a victim with such a history It can be, say, the perfume or the sound of a clock or things that remind them of a previous experience that they've had. It's very individual, but if something is said or a word is heard, that can trigger an episode where they go into this state as an adaptive mechanism. However, Dr Pullman's conclusion was slightly different to other diagnoses we've seen. One matter of debate has always been that Samantha might not know what she's doing. In a more recent report by Dr Jacqueline Rakoff, her opinion was that Samantha was not dreamlike, that she'd acted with the knowledge of wrongfulness in her behaviour, turning away from police in Bendigo, enlisting others to make fraudulent calls for her and providing incorrect details of the parents and children to police. Ms Azapati has showed a degree of intention and organisation in her behaviours, in that she knew the nature and quality of the conduct which led to the offending. The most common disorder given by psychologists who have examined her is that she has what's called severe borderline personality disorder. Samantha was first diagnosed with this when she was 18, while she was still in an adolescent mental health unit. And three individual psychologists have since diagnosed her with the same condition over the last five years. Miss Azapati meets the criteria for a personality disorder. As per I I consider her presentation is most consistent with a personality disorder with borderline features, including a I consider it very likely she has severe borderline personality disorder and would provisionally diagnose it. We want to understand this diagnosis a little better, so we've spoken to Professor Andrew Ellis, who's a forensic psychiatrist. He hasn't examined Samantha and he's not speaking directly about her, but he can give us some insight into the diagnoses that have been given. The classical symptoms of borderline personality disorder are the extreme of poor self-identity. Often persons feel very empty inside or very confused about who they are and their place in the world. It's often associated with a lot of suicidal and self-harm behaviours impulsive behaviours and often they, they have very tumultuous and problematic relationships. So it's a psychiatric condition that can cause a significant degree of impairment. Borderline personality disorder is often associated with childhood trauma. 
I think in the initial stages, um, when Samantha was first brought to the attention of the Irish public, uh, my initial sense was that this was an individual in trouble. This is child protection expert Shane Dunphy. He has experience of dealing with victims of childhood trauma and the effects it can have into adulthood. As somebody who's worked with people in extremists, my initial reaction was this was somebody who was asking for help. Look at me. I'm very distressed. I'm upset. Somebody help me. She was communicating non-verbally. She was expressing her distress physically. Shane first wrote about Samantha in the Irish press when she appeared as the GPO girl in 2013. Back then, when Samantha was found to be a 25-year-old adult instead of appearing as a child sex trafficking victim, Shane was one of the very few voices to say, hold on a minute, there could be something else going on here. An awful lot of the commentary was, you know, here we had this con artist who had come in and was sort of looking for sympathy and playing the card of somebody who had been sexually trafficked. You know, when, when I read the story, I just felt, yeah, we, we are missing a bit of the jigsaw puzzle here. Uh, nobody does something like that because they're happy. And it seemed to me that what we were seeing was that there were all kinds of other levels of pain that were peeping out. It just seemed very sad. It seemed very tragic. In addition to the diagnoses, the reports prepared for the court do give us a picture, albeit a blurry one, of her childhood and formative years. Samantha Azapadi was born on the 21st of August 1988 in Campbelltown in New South Wales. We know that she has at least one older brother and we know of two more half-brothers. Miss Azapadi said her parents separated when she was young and she subsequently remained with her father. We have attempted to speak to Samantha's family members, but without success. According to a psychological report carried out when Samantha was 17 years old, as a young child until the age of eight, Samantha lived with her mother and her maternal grandmother, and for a while they were joined by her mother's partner. In one report, Samantha indicated that her mother's partner had died from violent crime. In another, she said he died of an overdose. There are some accounts of Samantha becoming distressed at school, particularly when her parents were around. And there are accounts of physical injuries. Another report later that year noted Samantha had suffered severe physical abuse at the hands of her mother. It says her mother confirmed that she previously nearly killed Sam and also seriously assaulted her on a number of occasions. During Samantha's child-stealing case back in 2019, in sentencing her to two years in prison, the presiding magistrate, Johanna Metcalf, read the following into her public judgment on Samantha. I accept the contents and conclusions of these reports. Dr Pullman's report drew upon numerous past medical and psychiatric reports, indicating that you had a highly traumatic upbringing, during which you were emotionally neglected and physically abused to an extreme degree and subjected to physical, sexual and emotional abuse. The professionals who've assessed Samantha realise she can be vague and contradictory. Forensic psychologist Andrew Ellis says this is not uncommon amongst people that he sees. And that's why early records of someone's life play a vital part in any diagnosis. We're always looking for the source material. If you can find the material at the source, then that's the most um, 
uh, most valuable. And it's particularly important for someone like this who um, may well bamboozle you in an interview with plausible sounding tales that uh, you've got no way of verifying in the interview. And you do need to use a bit of detective work to find as much um, solid information as you can and then work out how much um, information has become corrupted <laughs> over time because, because one person said it once and it's passed along the chain. The earliest reports on Samantha from her teenage years detail further childhood trauma, which we're not going to share here. But life in an unstable and traumatic environment is something that Shane Dunphy has seen as significant in his work with young people. I know from working with, with children in care, um, you know, kids who have come from very, very chaotic, very, very stressful home backgrounds. Um, they get into care, so they're taken out of that situ situation and you'd think, okay, great, they've got peace, they've got serenity, they've got people who care about them, this must be wonderful, they'd want to sustain that. Actually, they don't. They find the peace and the comfort actually stressful. You know, and so they create a new kind of chaos for themselves because that's what they're used to living in. When they find themselves out of that, they, 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 they get antsy and they get nervous. In 2006, at the age of 17, Samantha was admitted to a mental health unit for six months and diagnosed with major depression with borderline personality disorder, a history of abuse and self-harming behaviour. She did not return to school. Samantha later recounted the years after this period to a psychologist. Her words are voiced by an actor. I did have a variety of casual jobs and over the years I have done all sorts of jobs in hospitality as a waitress and a barista and I like doing volunteer work. I'm not really interested in money as such. I like helping people. I think I'm good at that. Did some work looking after children in Victoria I have never had any real close friends before I went to jail. I hardly ever drink alcohol. It reacts with me and I never took any illegal drugs either. Never appealed to me as part of my concerns for my health. In 2020, during the case involving child stealing, Samantha was diagnosed by psychiatrist Dr Jacqueline Rakoff with a condition known as Pseudologia Fantastica a symptom of severe personality disorder, which the court was told developed from her horrific childhood. Police described her condition as an uncontrollable desire to make fictitious reports and referred to her as a global and interstate con artist. Pseudologia Fantastica is a rare but dramatic clinical psychiatric presentation and refers to an extreme type of lying that is internally motivated it captures her behaviour well and is a well-recognised, albeit rare, condition. Lying can protect the individual from unpleasant aspects of reality that cause distress and is thought to be associated with an underdeveloped sense of self and depleted self-esteem. They're not lying for money or for fame or for power or for any sort of material purpose in the world. Forensic psychologist Professor Andrew Ellis... Also, the lies are you know, border on the fantastical. They're usually 
tales about a person's life, about all sorts of thrilling and exciting events and important people that they know or important statuses that they hold. This description fits some of Samantha's creations. The Russian gymnast, the daughter of European royalty, the girl on the US witness protection program, the rich girl on the big yacht, characters with a big story to tell. The lie much more than would be necessary to get things done, lie almost in a sort of habitual way, and the lies change and morph quite easily. The person's often quite kind of uh, glib and um, able to rattle off all sorts of stories. They're usually quite unperturbed when they're confronted about it. You might, um, you know, feel smarter than everybody else, that you've been able to trick people or um, dupe them in some way. For us, these psychological and psychiatric reports make for sad reading. We see a picture of a person who is struggling to live a normal life, of someone who is deeply unhappy in her own skin. But that doesn't dismiss the damage to the hundreds of victims over the last 16 years over three continents, caught in a web of over a hundred false identities. In fact, despite feeling manipulated, deceived, hurt and betrayed by Samantha's calculated actions, many of them hope that she does get the help she needs to stop offending. If I could say one thing, it's that you don't play with people's lives. It's not fair. I want someone to find her and get her help or keep her locked away so she can't hurt anybody anymore. I really hope that she learns to be safe in her own skin and can be comfortable being Samantha. I think she just needs some help. You know, there's something obviously going on. She really needs some assistance. Samantha's victims also include any professional who dealt with her, who helped her, who cared for her, who believed in her. Her crimes also have an effect on the system that anybody reporting a violent or sexual crime in the future may have doubt cast on their claims as a result of Samantha's actions. Are there any answers for Samantha? Any therapy that could help her deal with her severe personality disorder? Historically, it was thought to be sort of an untreatable, stable condition, but there are specific talking therapies that are really quite effective and that most people with the condition will mature out of it or benefit from treatment. As for the pathological lying condition known as Pseudologia Fantastica, that remains largely a mystery to mental health practitioners, as people with the condition don't see it as a problem for themselves and often only present to clinicians when they get into trouble. But the psychologists and psychiatrists who have met with Samantha believe that comprehensive therapy may be the answer. Better coping strategies, ways of managing her anxiety but only if she is willing to engage. Not just superficially and not trying to avoid attempts to explore her past. Andrew Ellis again. Most people in the criminal justice system are um, desperate to get help for their problems. Most people um, will put their hand up and say, if it's offered to them, that they'll, they'll take some help to work out what is going on with them. But there are, you know, there are some who, you know, not everyone I see is um, pleased to see me. Let's put it that way. But what if someone like Samantha refuses to engage, refuses to get or take help? 
What then? Can they be forced into treatment? The short answer is yes, they can be, but it has to be under specific legal circumstances. It's a significant violation of someone's liberties to force psychiatric treatment on them, so there has to be a good and justifiable reason for that. Where a person retains enough mental capacity, we as a society have decided that they should have the right to decide whether they have that treatment or not. And so in most cases of, say, personality disorder, they're considered to be fit to be tried and fit to make decisions about their own treatment. That Samantha would engage properly with treatment to help her life isn't just in her own interest. It's in the interest of any future potential victims. We've seen many court judgments with Samantha that say it's either psychological counselling or jail. And in this way, perhaps the system has let Samantha down. She's fallen between the cracks of the criminal justice and mental health system. There is another option as well, but it's not available Australia-wide. Remember Kevin Harrison? He prosecuted Samantha in Perth in 2012. He was interested in Samantha's case because, at the time, he was in the process of setting up what's called a mental health court. It's different to a criminal court because it aims to divert offenders with mental health disorders away from jail and instead surround them with therapeutic care. I think the mental health court would have really helped her because you don't just have a report done on you in relation to psychological or psychiatric issues. You are actually monitored in that court for a period of six months and you're monitored by a clinician, a clinical nurse. We have a team in there that looks after the people and um, monitors their behaviour. There are so many opinions about Samantha. So many diagnoses. Let's not forget she has a voice too. And that can also be found in the psychiatric reports we were granted access to. Her words are voiced by an actor. I am a person who values family and good trustworthy friends, even though I don't have any. It's really good that dad is there for me. I don't like trouble and I will go to some lengths to appease others. At the moment, I want to get my life back on track and put all this stuff behind me so... I know I need some help to make that happen. I worry about labels, but I have to live with that. If the experts are saying I have a personality disorder or I am a compulsive liar, whatever the term is, Pinocchio's disease, I reckon, (laughs) then I believe them. Good on them. With all this, I don't really know who I am and I do want help with this. I would like to study something to get some sort of qualification. Don't really know what though. Something without paperwork. (laughs) That was in January 2022. And since then, of course, Samantha has offended again. Samantha as a party is now 34 years old. She's been out of prison for almost six months and who knows where she is now. She could be receiving help for her issues. Or the story may take the same path that it's taken for so many years. She may resurface in a few months or a year as somebody else. And again, another court may face the dilemma of how to protect people from her actions against how to get her the help that she needs and that she said she would like. When she was released just before Christmas in 2022, 
The conditions of her release also included some more community corrections orders. And then something very unusual happened. She began talking to us on Facebook. No fake identities, no false stories. Just Samantha and Sharon communicating regularly. She also had her public Facebook page and one of her posts read The feeling when you have been stuck on a deserted island for the last five weeks and you need to get back to shore as soon as possible. But you can't because the lifeboat that was meant for you has been attacked by sharks. Then that message in a bottle floats past. The message is, you still need to wait four more months until the next lifeboat is ready for you. It could be a reference to something that Sharon has been communicating with Samantha on Messenger about. Over a few months we had short conversations on Facebook. They were friendly, but also guarded, on both sides. Early on I asked if she was okay. She said she was, but also thanked me for asking. We talked about whether she was receiving psychological help, but she said she was on a waiting list until May and was not considered a priority. It was clear she'd listened to some of the work we'd done and had opinions on it. She wouldn't commit to what they were, but said she supported independent journalism and was clearly concerned that some of the reporting about her from other media had been wrong. Then she told me she was going to shut down her Facebook page and we wouldn't be able to communicate any longer. We were having a conversation about honesty and our beliefs. Again, she was guarded about what she'd say. But there was one question I needed to ask. Did she send the young mystery woman with a blank SD card to meet me at the Woi Woi fish market? At first, she was evasive and said she didn't know what I was talking about. Am I asking just for a laugh? Eventually, she responded, saying the answer was simple. It's no. No, she didn't send anyone. Two days later, she was gone. She closed down the page and the conversation. We don't know where Samantha is now or what she may be doing. But two weeks after being released from prison late last year, she posted this poem by model Cara Delevingne. The poem is a cry from the heart about the struggle to find one's own identity. Who am I? Who am I trying to be? Not myself, anyone but myself. Living in a fantasy to bury the reality, making myself the mystery, a strong facade disguising the misery. Empty but beyond the point of emptiness, full to the brim of fake confidence, a guard that will never be broken because I broke a long time ago. I'm hurting but don't tell anyone, no one needs to know. Don't show or you've failed. Always okay, always fine, always on show. The show must go on, it will never stop. The show must not go on, but I know it will. I give up, I give up giving up, I am lost. I don't need to be saved, I need to be found. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this programme, please visit rte.ie forward slash helplines.
Finding Samantha is written, recorded and produced by Sharon Davis in Australia and Tim Desmond and me, Nicolene Greer in Ireland. Executive producer is Liam O'Brien. Sound engineer is Damien Chanel. Soundtrack composed by Paddy Flynn. And the singers in the title song you just heard were Amelie Flynn and Mary Claire Wally. And that marks the end of our series. For further information, visit rte.ie forward slash finding Samantha. Thanks for listening.